Welcome to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. In this podcast series, every two weeks, host Audrey Dove shares with you a new topic related to innovation and its impact for the legal world, with a special focus on intellectual property. My guest today is Firoz Datu, the chair and founder of Advance Law, based in Washington, D.C. He has been a lawyer in a major law firm before turning to management and strategy advice for legal professionals. The core business of this company founded 10 years ago and that is now active in multiple countries. Advance Law is a group of about 250 general counsel who are working together to share best practices and information on external counsel and retain among the best ones in terms of value and quality of service. His views on performance, skills and innovation in the legal market are completed by a great insight on the changes, including the impact of automation in the relationships between in-house clients and their law firms. Firoz, what are the main factors you would recommend to a client to take into account to choose the best attorney possible? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, at the highest level, it's just what do other similarly situated clients feel about this firm and more importantly about this lawyer? You know, that's the thing that's missing and the reason that advanced law exists. In other words, uh, general counsel, when they are trying to choose counsel, for example, with the right litigation expertise, they kind of have to guess. They kind of have to go to the people they know or make a guess and not have assurance, not have any information from people they trust, other similarly situated general counsel of large companies. So this is a way to do that. So we share the information. We make sure that the GCs are able to have that information and feel confident hiring the person with the right expertise. Yeah. You know, more specifically in terms of what to look for, what are the factors they should look for? I mean, I think the thing that uh, has to be top of mind for every general counsel and is, is the thing that they're looking for more than anything else is practical business advice as opposed to being academic. So a, a way to say this is it comes down to solutions focus. And, uh, you know, we've been doing some research lately on what it is that is most correlated with the likelihood to recommend a lawyer if you're an in-house counsel. What are the attributes that are most correlated with them saying, yes, I recommend this outside or external lawyer? And the number one thing is solutions focus, um, even higher than other things. But of course, at advanced law, the idea is to listen to the client and think, what do they need? And they might say something very specific, like, you know, I have, uh, you know, XYZ type of matter, whatever it is. Uh, it could be an IP, it could be a trademark litigation, for instance. I have this trademark litigation, uh, but it's sensitive and it, there's the competitors are involved and I want someone who's fluid and has dealt with things in our industry. And so there are all kinds of things we have to listen to what they want and then find that best match from a wider network with more assurance than a single client would have access to. You mentioned uh, this study and the fact that they're looking for general counsel, look for lawyers who are solutions oriented. Could you, could you tell us uh, maybe uh, more about other elements that are also considered as essential? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, you know, we looked at the correlations, if you will, of all of the different uh, things that, that affect likelihood to recommend a lawyer 
pollution focus, as I mentioned, was top of the list. The other ones that were very high were the quality of the legal work actually performed, the legal expertise, and responsiveness. Those were the, the top ones. Okay. The interesting thing that came out here didn't rise to the top of the list. One of them was the actual outcome. In other words, how did the matter actually go, which I found very surprising. And that was not as highly correlated now, you know, because obviously it's about the outcome. That said, you would think, well, oh, that's because the outcome, you know, is hard to control for the outside lawyer. But we asked it as outcome relative to what you would have expected. In other words, taking into account the case if we're talking about a litigation. And yet, even then, when we looked at it, outcome wasn't that highly correlated. And again, this was not an opinion survey, which is kind of interesting. We didn't say in-house lawyers, you tell us what makes you likely to recommend someone. Is it solutions focus? Is it outcome? If we said it that way, they probably would have put outcome number one, outcome relative mm -hmm. to how I thought. But they, we didn't ask it that way. We looked at 2,000 different matters. We looked at likelihood to recommend. And then we went back and saw the different scores in different areas, and we did the correlation. So we were never asking. We were just looking through the data. So that's one interesting finding about outcomes. Yeah, definitely. The other one is about hourly rate. Now, a lot of general counsel care a lot about rates. But honestly, there was a low correlation with a low hourly rate and the likelihood to recommend. There still was a correlation. In other words, the lower the rate, the more likely you are to recommend a particular lower. But it was not a very strong correlation which is kind of interesting given how much we read about uh, cost effectiveness and hourly rates. Uh, do you also believe that the so-called magic circle law firms uh, with a renowned pedigree are always a, a safe bait for clients? Or would you have a more nuanced or approach depending on the expertise required, the type of matter at stake, local implications, or maybe other factors? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. I I absolutely think that some of the magic circle or maybe in the United States some of the Amlaw 20 firms if we can, you know, take the biggest firms, they're doing some things right. But to say for instance that that they're the most innovative at client service, I doubt it. The thing we've learned and I think everyone can understand is necessity is the mother of all invention. If you don't have to compete for the very best work, where's your need or your drive to innovate? If anything, you're risking messing up the good thing that you already have going on. Now, again, it's not true of all Magic Circle and American Lawyer 20 or Amlaw 20 firms. In fact, we have data that shows uh, how the different firms perform based on these 2,000 matters. There's data on Magic Circle firms, on Amlaw 20 firms. Okay. We can't just use price or historic reputation as a proxy for quality. And again, this data we've done, 2,000 or more matters across 28 clients, including companies like Nike and, and Panasonic and looking at data from companies like this, what we're seeing seeing is that on average, those, you know, largest firms, the Amlaw 20, for instance, are actually underperforming on average the Amlaw 20 to 200. So the next 180 largest firms, which is really interesting to me. And so it's interesting to see here that if anything, the pattern goes the other way. And I think the problem that I resist is to some extent, general counsel and in-house counsel are going to have real fear at backing uh, a firm that's not really well known and established. And I think that's holding the legal industry back. You know, I had the privilege of talking to the managing partners and being in the boardrooms of some of these, a couple of Magic Circle firms, some of the Amlaw 20 firms. Some of them are a little bit worried about what's going on right now as well. And so uh, there will be some change. In
you mentioned earlier innovation and uh, being innovative as a lawyer. Actually, what does being innovative mean for a legal professional, in, in particular in relation to work quality, client relationships, responsiveness, proactiveness, cost efficiency? Yeah, it's a big question and a hard question. <laughs> so I think to me, the word that's popping up is courage. In other words, in my head, I'm thinking, what's the stop? What's stopping lawyers at law firms from being innovative? What does it mean to be innovative? And I think it's courage. It's courage to being open to different ways of doing things. There was a big trend ushered in a few years ago, uh, legal project management with, you know, the idea being let's break down the tasks so we can figure out and look at pricing data to figure out how much things will actually cost and create a better way for the client to do this work, for us to do that work for the client. And we will then be able to come up with the right flat fee, for instance. We'll not just be operating in a black box. So that was an example of an innovation. Yet I know that it, even at the firms that say they're the best at legal project management externally, and then you go have a conversation with many of those firms at the boardroom level or the managing partner level, and they will be honest. And they will say, yeah, it's change management still. Not every lawyer is going to embrace this. Some don't have, back to this, the courage to do it, or it feels a little bit different. One example, legal project management of an innovation that makes sense, but still hard to drive everyone toward it. And what about automation? You know, what lawyers are often paid for is to just get it right every time. So the trick is when you use automation, it can never be wrong, right? Or there has to be some human check on top of the audit, whatever it is that we're talking about, including, for instance, some software that would look over a trademark portfolio, for instance, and figure out which ones are the ones that are most important to the company. Or you, All kinds of automation exists, and I believe in it. But I also believe that it takes not one year or two years to get artificial intelligence or uh, automation right. It can take several years, and it just gets better and better, and that's at the point when it'll be super useful for us. So that's an innovation we talk about a lot, but still baby steps. It's still in the early phases of how we're actually getting the ROI out of that innovation. Here's my main point I would say about innovation. It's hard because clients don't always know what they want, For right? There was this whole thing about moving off of hourly-based billing to, to flat fees. And again, from this uh, GC thought leaders experiment that we've been doing, we do see that flat fees work. They don't hurt quality, and they tend to produce better actual cost savings and efficiency gains. Uh, here's the thing. The clients that do it the most get the best results. So practice makes perfect from the client side. For clients that are using this for 30% or more of their work flat fees, they get actually even better results from their flat fee arrangements. So that's an innovation. But then the client will say, well, we want to do flat fees. And then the law firm will say, great, let's do it. And then the client will sometimes just go back and say, well, actually, you know what? It's easier for us to do hourly. I don't have time for the really what they're saying. I don't even have time for the conversation to figure out the right flat fee with you. So let's just do it. Well, next time we'll do the innovation. So imagine you're a law firm. I mean, how hard is that, that you've got not even just one client? Every client is different than within the client. You don't just have the general counsel, right? You've got the in-house lawyers. You've got the business clients. All of them have slightly different interests. And, and then you're supposed to come up with the innovation that somehow is scalable and solves everyone's problems. So while I'm more aligned with and work with the GC community more than anything else, you know, working with 250 GCs and their legal teams now, 
And I feel for the law firms, and that's, again, part of why we did this experiment. It was 25 GCs who wrote an open letter to the legal industry, and they were very specific in how they worded this letter that kicked off this experiment. It's, it talked about it. It said law firms don't know where to invest because we are not understanding what works in terms of innovation. And so, so that's my, my main point is that the law firms have their work cut out for them. And hopefully, if we can figure out what actually drives value, those are the innovations that are worth investing in. Do you have other innovations in mind? Other innovations that law firms do often are just for, to some extent, it's for PR. And it's to show that you're innovative, uh, even if you're only doing that 2% of the, 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 the matters that are happening. So it's, it's a tricky place to, to even evaluate a firm's innovation. Uh, you mentioned automation. You have a fantastic overview of what's happening in companies through the general counsel you work with. Could you tell us a little bit more about maybe what, what you, you see coming? You know, I, I, I wish I were more optimistic about the things because some of the things that I see are things that all of us were talking about years and years ago, and they're still heralded as new innovation. Probably the best innovation anyone, any one of us could probably think of that really drove efficiency was several years ago, right? And this was in the litigation space with discovery. I mean, it was long enough ago that I practiced law that discovery and document production meant, you know, I would physically have something that was called a bait stamp number and I would put it on as a, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, a junior lawyer, uh, put it on a document and we would do it by hand and And then making that all be digital, right? Having predictive coding so you can start pulling up, okay, these ones are likely to be privileged. That sort of thing is, was huge. That totally changed the game. And today? So that would be, you know, obviously contracts management and automation has been a great place because it's about spotting potential risks, looking for certain language, deadlines, obligations coming due and such. So that's been a great place. But again, I wouldn't say that was in the past two or three years. It keeps getting better. The, the silver bullet of technology, you know, solution that's come out in the last two or three years, I am seeing progress in predictive uh, ways than artificial intelligence. Um, but right now it's being relegated to sort of team things and the triage of work rather than, you know, higher level work. You just uh, mentioned the past and the, the present situation, but Let's do a little perspective. What would you anticipate for the next few years? Uh, the booming tech, uh, the new client expectations, and also the risk and opportunities. You know, one of the, the clients I work uh, most closely with um, is really strong uh, in the digital frontier. The company is called DXC Technology. Uh, it was the combination of CSC, Computer Sciences Corporation, um, and a part of uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprises. So they're a big company. You know, they're about 25 billion plus revenue. Uh, and this is what they do. They're on the forefront of digital. And so I've, I've learned by working with them and their general counsel just how important it is for in-house counsel and law firms to embrace this. More and more companies are, they're in the cloud. They're doing things in a way where 
remote employees or even contractors are accessing information and data. We have higher and higher, you know, privacy constraints and security threats. And so you've got to do that the right way. Yeah. The point isn't to not embrace digital. You have to, because that's the way you get the efficiencies and that is the future. So companies mm -hmm. are absolutely going in this way. So the future is that that isn't simpler thing for law firms to do and in-house law departments, which is to emulate that and find a way to do that because you can't have the business operating at warp speed and law operating at slow speed, right? We've got to be able to keep up and provide solutions and use similar portals and be able to do that. Okay. How does it translate in your own company? Um, even at, quite frankly, advanced law, we're thinking about how we make things easier and faster for our clients. So right now, it's very trusted advisor, and it'll always be like that to some extent. The in-house lawyer picks up the phone or sends us an email, and then we pick up the phone, but we're talking to them. And then we're saying, okay, what do you need? And, and then we're having conversations every quarter about how it's going and how was that, and we're talking to them about how the firm did, and talking to the firm to give them the feedback on what the client said. And all that stuff's great, and I don't imagine completely changing it, but what are the things that allow us to streamline this? Is there an app? Is there a portal? Is there a way where clients are accessing all this information? They're able to connect to the lawyers. The controls or the incentives of advanced law, which are that we're collecting feedback, that the lawyer knows they're being evaluated, that good scores get you more work, those are built into the system. And then when we're talking to the clients, Everything's going smoother and faster, and it's high touch rather than block and tackle communication. Uh, do, do you work with legal tech companies, actually, or do you envisage to include them in your ecosystem? <clears throat> yeah, it's a great question. We do um, have one of them in the group. It's called Lumen Legal. Uh, they're, they're great. And we work a lot and talk to and collaborate with others in the space. We definitely are embracing of the entire ecosystem, but I think we could do more there. I think we should find a way to better uh, include in our ecosystem more of those players. So that is something that, that we think a lot about and, and, and so look for more on that in the future. <laughs> I have a last question for you, Firoz. Uh, would you share with us your, your secrets? Uh, how do you keep up with the sector's innovations? And uh, I have in mind the tools that are developed by companies, the legal tech, as we say, and others. W what are your tips for you and your team to stay up to date with the tech industry ever evolving innovations? Honestly, I'm not a big guy in general in terms of my personality of the kind of person who loves to always go to conferences, yet I will say that this is how to do it. When you go to a, a good conference, it's sure, it's also about networking and meeting people, but being involved in that, I think, exposes you to that thinking more than just saying, I'm going to read these 87, you know, articles and documents in person. You can kind of assess whether it's real or whether it's just puffery, which you can't tell from a publication. So uh, I'm not dismissing staying up to date on reading. That's great. But everybody these days reads a lot less and a lot faster than they used to. Um, <laughs> You know, we just have to catch the information however we can. But so, so I think the conference is, is an underutilized tool and, and meeting people. I've heard great things. I know you guys uh, put on great conferences and people come back, you know, because they, they really learn. Thank you, Shiroz. You know, thank you for having me on, on this podcast.
My guest today was Firoz Datu, who leads the company Advance Law, consulted by general counsel and their teams all over the world on key strategy issues, including innovation. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for future episodes of Brand and New, a podcast from the International Trademark Association. If you liked this episode and think someone else would too, please share it. And to learn more about INTA, please visit INTA.org.